0: my God, the funniest fucking thing happened to me this morning when I was going to get coffee. I shit you not. Oh, my God. I was standing in line to get coffee and I, (laughs) so I have a tattoo of a parrot on my leg, right? Uh Uh-huh. I was standing in line to get coffee and this guy walks up to me and he goes, holy shit, I love your parrot tattoo. He goes, do you have any birds? And my gut reaction, like my initial reaction was just to be like no bird people are weird <laughs> and so I said that to him and he goes
1: you said that <laughs> I said
0: that out loud he goes oh I'm the bird trainer at the zoo uh. I'm Nicola. I'm Savannah. And we're two Blunt Broads. Two Blunt Broads. Talking about groups that don't like to be talked about. Yes, we are. Um, so we're talking about them. We're talking about them. I, I know that they don't like to be talked about because my group, <laughs> my church, my group, my, um, well, I can say it. Okay, yeah. I can say it. Okay, you say it. My cult. Mm-hmm. It's Mine, my case, is a cult.
1: <laughs> yes, mine, i will say, mine is a
0: church hers is a church mine is a cult we really really don't want to get sued on this podcast no i think it's our ultimatum is not to get sued
1: i really don't want scientology coming after me uh please yeah i'm just being as respectful as possible speaking about it
0: i think that i could handle synanon i could take them uh-huh. but scientology i think is yeah, yeah we don't uh, want to um, fight that bull mm-mm.
1: no yeah I'm um, just some sharing information. Yeah, I'm sharing rumors. But that's alleged, what I'm sharing. I'm sharing yeah. alleged things that have been put on the internet.
0: You're going to hear that word a whole lot mm-hmm. in the next hour or so,
1: alleged. Right. I'm but, excited to hear about Senanon. Yes,
0: yeah, Senanon's it's it's nuts. just I was researching this. I already knew a lot about it before I went into it. Um but like just getting everything straight was completely nutso. Like, there are some stories in this thing that will just make you laugh and cry and laugh at the same time. (laughs) My favorite activity. Um, before we get into it, I want you guys to keep emailing in your ghost stories and your true crime stories. Yes, please. We are building a side quest episode. We just need a couple more stories to get it out to you guys. Um... Our email address is twobluntbroads at gmail.com. Um, please send us, you know, correspondence. We love it. We, I love waking up in the morning and making a pot of coffee and sitting down and opening my email and then one of my dogs barking to be let out and getting up before it even loads and taking the dogs out and then coming back inside and then sitting down with my coffee, which is now cold because my dogs have made me get up from my computer. hmm And checking the email and seeing a message from one of you guys, because it is really fun and it's a great way to start my day. Yeah. Yeah. So keep them coming. It's, it's going to be good. We have
1: some patrons now, right? Yeah, we have
0: some patrons to thank. Shout them out. We've got Mally and Christy. Thank you guys so much for your support. It means the world to us. Wonderful. When you become a patron, at any level, you get access to our close friends list on Instagram and access to a super secret Facebook group that has... You know, pre-releases of what the episodes are going to be about. Um, it's got discussions about what future episodes should be about. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram feed is going to be a lot of my dogs. A lot Personal of you guys. Stuff. Yeah. Who we are as people. Yes. Who we are truly as people and not this...
1: Um... Which more and more that will come out with time. Yeah. On here as well. Just a little bit, you know.
0: If y- you want to really know what's
1: going on, that's how you do it.
0: You'll learn who we are. Okay, so... We have listeners in New Zealand. I bet that's not your VPN. No,
1: it isn't. It's not. <laughs> it is. We I've all never the way put to it in, in this New Zealand.
0: That's crazy. Isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah, Yeah, we've got listeners in New Zealand. So,
1: oh, I might. No, nope. Now we don't have <laughs> any. Now more we don't have any. <laughs> New Zealand. Um shout out to you though shout that's out to you
0: cool. are less than one percent of listeners that are in new zealand yes <laughs> also less than one percent of our listeners are listening from the uk so yeah that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. rad that is. um made it overseas mm-hmm. um i wish they would show us what cities in the u.s people are listening from so we could call people out there too but
1: right i know we've got new york city
0: whoa i didn't know that
1: because my friend that lives Oh listens. well yeah
0: <laughs> okay so something a little bit lighter this week to kind of cleanse our palate from last week's case and the week before which was really intense i think we can all agree that those kidnappings are are rough indeed i think that kind of taking a little break to talk about groups that don't want to be talked about is is gonna be nice for everyone interesting stuff here I think, yeah, it's interesting stuff. I'm going to go ahead and say I learned about this cult. I can call it a cult because I used to be in Alcoholics Anonymous. I can tell you that no Mm. one else can tell you that you can't tell anyone that. I'm just joking. You guys aren't in AA. (laughs) It's not a secret. I used to be an Alcoholics Anonymous. I was in recovery for about three years, and I was really active in the recovery community at the beginning of Mm -hmm. my recovery. After I got out of rehab um, and was living in sober living and. Before I got out of sober living. So for about six months. I got California sober after that. So I started smoking pot after right. that. But California I didn't sober. drink for like three years. So my California sober. Yeah I, I did a little bit of that. But this this is not California sober. This is in California. And it's claiming to be sobriety. <laughs> but it does not Completely different smoking weed. While you're sober and going to AA meetings. right? So yeah I wasn't very good at AA. Obviously I was smoking a lot of weed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I still, you know, went to meetings a lot, and it helped me not drink. Yeah. It was a personal decision. It saved my life. Um, AA, I will credit with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I grew out of it. Yeah. I grew out of the mentality and the need for it, and obviously I'm not sober anymore, I control my drinking in other ways, and that's one of the main tenets of AAs, that if you're an alcoholic, you'll never be able to control and enjoy your drink. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of broke away from it, and there are some things about it that really disturb me. Right. So, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try to separate myself from this story kind of right here, Mm -hmm. after I tell this little antidote, because I don't want no never mind i'm not going to separate from myself from the story i'm going to constantly be inserting myself in the story because i think it's really important as someone that's been through rehab yeah. and who's been through the recovery system right. to reflect on what this cult is and its similarities and differences from existing rehabilitation groups right we're are not
1: talking about aa as the cult here that's not no, I don't, no, it kind no. of sounds yeah, like it so that far kind of that's sounds not like
0: it. it but um well, no, no, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are some dandits that I'm going to have to avoid going on here. I'm not saying AA is a cult. I'm saying Senon is a cult. Mm -hmm. So I was in a speaker meeting one day. If you're not familiar with AA, there are meetings that are closed groups where only alcoholics can attend, and you talk as a group, so you share as a member of that group while the rest of the group is silent, and then the next person shares, and they're not necessarily supposed to reflect on what you've said, but they can use it as a jumping-off point. So this guy was doing a speaker meeting, which is different from a group meeting. It's one person that tells their story. And they tell, you know, what happened to them, who they were, who they are now, and how they recovered. So this guy stands up at the podium, and he starts telling his story, and he talks about being a member of this group in the 70s called Synanon. Um, he says he was referred to it by the California court system. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent a couple months there, and he kind of mentioned it as a sidebar, but he always mentioned it by name. He didn't say, "Yo, I was in this cult called Synanon." He right,
1: was like, you it,
0: "Hey, I was in a group. I was in. I was in Synanon." So. Um, I kind of let that marinate was like okay that's kind of weird uh it was the first time i ever heard the phrase but a few months later i was listening to episode i think it's like 132 of my favorite murder so early on in my favorite murder yeah um i was like catching up on my backlog i was early in recovery i was still living in sober living and i listened to this episode called awful peanut of my favorite murder and they do a bit on a cult called Sunanon. And that's when I put two and two together. And I was like, holy shit, this crazy motherfucker's in a cult. Or he was in a cult. Um, And I don't know if he even realizes that or knows the reputation that it has to this day. Or what happened, like, its decline after he left. Or if he even was able to digest while he was there what was going on. Because I know a lot of people
1: can't. Yeah, being a part of it, I don't know. Yeah. Afterwards, you could just be like, uh i was in a cult i was in a cult so It's a hard thing to to recognize and admit for yourself maybe
0: i dated a guy in college whose sister was in a cult in canada
1: hmm.
0: yeah i think she still might be in that cult the cults are very active
1: to yeah, this day in the u.s they are um we'll keep talking about them this is um, this will not be the first time still not saying that that mine is a cult
0: Oh, no. We'll talk about churches.
1: We're talking about churches.
0: We'll talk about, we'll talk about cults. We'll talk about these things at infinitum. Mm-hmm. This is part of our spooky rep- repertoire. So I'm going to start at the beginning because that's the best place to start. So says my creative writing teacher from high school. Shout out, Star Flynn. Mm-hmm. Um, so Synanon was initially founded in 1958 in Santa Monica, California as a drug rehabilitation program by a guy called Charles Chuck E. Diedrich. Senior. Very important. Senior. (laughs)
1: There's a junior coming. (laughs) There's
0: a junior coming. Synanon was an alternative living community centered on group truth-telling sessions that became known as the Synanon game. So whereas AA had meetings, they had the game.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I just lost the game. uh, The game game? The game game? No. I don't know. Oh, it's like this this thing where... You play the game by not thinking about the game. And as soon as you think about the game, you lost. So I'm sorry, everybody listening to this just lost.
0: When I was (laughs) in rehab, I had a guy tell me, like one of the counselors, like pulled me aside one day and was like, hey, you got to understand your problem. It's not drugs. Your problem. It's not booze. Your problem is the game. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so oh my god, I wonder if he was a part of on too. Oh
1: he might have been, being dude. Made. Yeah.
0: Everyone was.
1: Kinda sounds like
0: it. So the group eventually disbanded in nineteen ninety one due to several members being convicted of criminal activity, including but not limited to attempted murder, destruction of evidence, financial misdeeds, and terrorism. So that's what we're going to cover All right. with this. We're going to cover all this attempted murder, destruction of evidence, financial misdeeds, and terrorism. Cool. But I feel like I owe you a little explanation of who Chucky is. I'm going to call him Chucky for the rest of this. No, I'm going to call him Chuck. I don't like Chucky. It makes me think of Rugrats. Mm -hmm. So Chuck was born in 1913 in Ohio. When he was four, his father died in a drunk driving accident, and his mom proceeded to make him a four-year-old. Chuck, uh, the man of the house. Lord. <laughs> yeah, she said he was her favorite um, and kind of treated him nicely. So when he was eight, his little brother died of the flu. For this, he felt guilty and responsible. And as such, he never was able to create a real bond with children again. It said even his own children he couldn't bond with until they became adults. Wow. Um,
1: How old was he when his brother died?
0: so i you know? he was eight. Oh, he,
1: he was eight he okay, was okay, eight and his, younger his little brother, brother was oh, okay. like four i see
0: when he was 12 his mother remarried another man and chuck was fucking jealous because he went from being this mama's boy like mm-hmm. to his mom remarrying yeah he got wildly jealous and he went on a little tangent of his own the article that i read said he went drinking and rebel rousing so he was twelve. He was twelve. Okay. And right. he started drinking heavily. Uh-huh. Um, it's said that he was addicted to alcohol before he even entered high school. Uh-huh. Thusly, he flunked out of Notre Dame after he got into Notre Dame. got I mean, that's how. impressive. Yeah. Well, he, uh, <laughs> he lost his marriage um, due to his drink. In yeah. the forties, he got meningitis. He managed to survive meningitis thanks to a the wildly groundbreaking drug penicillin um okay but he was left with a droopy eye and a facial tick so he was kind of a funny looking guy I'll, yeah. we'll attach some pictures of him but he uh he's kind of a funky looking funky looking dude he moved to santa monica where he became a self-professed beach bum which i think just means a self-professed day drunk <laughs> <laughs> One day some guy found him passed out on a kitchen floor and took him to an AA meeting. So once in AA, Chuck becomes a fucking alcoholism enthusiast, mm-hmm. which happens a lot to people who get sober for the first time. Right. I think it's this phenomenon called a pink cloud, and you're on a pink cloud, like you're floating. And you're untouchable because you're sober and everything feels so good. Your brain chemistry is finally evening out. Like, you right. don't have the shakes anymore. detox. Like, you don't feel like shit. Like, mm-hmm. you are unstoppable. And you're better than everyone else because you're fucking sober right. and they're not. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the mentality of early sobriety. Mm-hmm. And you really are better than everyone else because you're not drinking. Like, don't make that sound facetious or don't. I agree. <laughs> yeah, don't make that come across as facetious, because not drinking is fucking hard. <laughs> like, yeah. you are better than everyone else. Yeah. So, he became an AA enthusiast. He went to a meeting every single day, which is, that's, I don't know why every article that I read had to include that he went to a meeting every single day. That's, like, a very regular thing. Mm-hmm. Um He started leading speaker meetings, really, on in his sobriety, which is, like I told you earlier, where you get up at the podium and you tell your story. Right. That's not something that you typically do until you've been sober for like a year. Until you've at least finished the steps. (laughs) I have a little note in here that I bet he was one of those guys that sponsors people before they've even finished the steps, which is a trope. It's just an AA trope. Um,. He was kind of getting this reputation as a meeting hogger and would literally consume meetings talking about himself. And as such, a lot is known about him. Despite the guise of anonymity. Anonymity, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous is very unanonymous. So a lot's known about him. A lot of people, after he passed away, came out um, and wrote about what they knew about his early childhood from... um, What he shared, he also kept diligent records. He recorded pretty much everything that he did. One day, during a bout of paranoia, he locked himself in his room and read all of Emerson's self-reliance. He decided to use it as his new Bible, and he quit his day job to devote his life to cleaning up alcoholics. So, in the 50s, AA was not really open to drug addicts. Um, Oh, thank you. (laughs) AA is not really open to drug addicts because the... It was thought in AA that the issues suffered by drug addicts tended to be significantly different than those suffered by alcoholics. Right. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> That's fucking bullshit. Like, I don't care if I piss people off by saying this, because one of the main tenets of alcoholism is that once we begin to consider ourselves as different or unique, we fall into a trap. Yeah. There is n- Mm. Once you start to consider yourself, there used to be this saying when I was in rehab that alcoholics look down on pill poppers, pill poppers look down on IV drug users, and everyone looks down on glue sniffers. So in the 1950s, AA was not really open to drug addicts because issues suffered by drug addicts tend to be significantly different than those suffered by alcoholics, according to AA. It's kind of still like that. Um, Drug addicts can attend AA meetings, but using words that you use to refer to narcotics is kind of shunned. We would call them solid forms of alcohol. So in the 50s, Deidre takes some acid as part of a study. A lot of these guys in early AA were on acid.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, Bob and Bill,
0: the two guys that, like, started AA were part of an acid study in California in the 50s. Wow. Yeah, so they didn't consider it not sober to do hallucinogens. Um, There's a lot of debate on that these days. Anything
1: that you don't have to do a spinal tap to show up in your system doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right.
0: Um, But there were several universities that were doing acid studies on alcoholics and addicts, um, trying to determine if lsd had any effect on craving essentially he takes some acid and he comes to the conclusion that good and bad are the same thing okay right yeah i've done that before uh it's all just
1: actions and living
0: yeah it's all just actions He came to the conclusion that good and bad were the same thing, and around this time, his speaker meetings went from having normal religious overtones, like, a lot of people in A Mm -hmm. will have really religious overtones. Yeah, I was thinking that when
1: you look at the 12 steps, it's all, a lot of religious stuff, isn't
0: it? It's all about surrendering yourself over to a higher power, and they never, the thing that makes it different from a religious organization, as they don't tell you what your higher power is supposed to be. In the big book, it's written as God, but the big book was written in, like, the 20s, and so there's a huge, it's really hard to explain. There is a big crossover between Christianity and, not Christianity, but God-centric religion, omnipotent one god based one deity based religion right um naa but they protest it to Mm -hmm. the grave like any alcoholic that you meet that's active in the program is gonna tell you it's not religious at all so after he took some acid in the 50s his speaker meetings went from having normal religious overtones to psychological and philosophical overtones he gathered his own following and started a group called Tender Loving Care. This group Tender Loving Care gathered TLC TLC. Yeah, uh huh. The first TLC. I don't want no scrub. Scrub is a guy that can't get no drug from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, they gained a significant following, and in 1958, he incorporated the organization into what he called the Synanon Foundation. Synanon is a word he invented. Integrating Togetherness, Sin, with the Unknown, Anon. Or, in other sources Sinners I read... Sinners Anonymous,
1: sounds Sinners like. Anonymous.
0: <laughs> in another article I read, a drunk slurred together the words symposium and seminar, leading to Anon.
1: Okay.
0: Um, but back in TLC, they started playing something called The Game, which is, it was referred to a couple of people like psychiatrists and psychologists that went to on to study the group and see why it was successful, they referred to the game as something called gut therapy. I asked my therapist about this today. I was like, what is gut therapy? Is that a real thing? And we right. Googled it together, and all we were able to find was, like, cognitive behavioral therapy treats irritable bowel syndrome. So I don't know <laughs> if gut therapy is a real thing, but I assume it's referring to what the game is which is calming your stomach Um. calming your stomach (laughs) (laughs) no the game is essentially like a not funny comedy roast like you stand in the middle of the room and everyone stands in a circle around you and they're able to say whatever the fuck they want to you about you
1: all right (laughs) Yeah. Sign so, me out. <laughs> right.
0: So they're allowed to say anything to any effect. Um, it doesn't have to be true. And it's supposed to elicit a reaction from you. So you're supposed to get angry. You're supposed to get upset. So I assume what they mean when they say gut therapy is like therapy at the gut, therapy that strikes okay, for the gut, yeah. therapy that it hits
1: you in the gut. Hits you yeah. In the gut.
0: So it's like, supremely, absolutely, like, psychological abuse Mm -hmm. at the hands of a group of people. Right. So in the game, the only thing that was banned was the threat of violence and violence itself. So you weren't allowed to be like, I'm gonna fucking beat your face in. Right. You could be like... Physical
1: threats or something. "Mm
0: Mm-hmm. You could tell people, your mother is a worthless sack of shit. You're a junkie. You're never gonna get anywhere in life. Like, you could beat them down as much as you wanted to verbally. You just couldn't threaten violence against them. So at this time, back in the 50s, the group Tender Loving Care was based out of a small storefront in a really seedy part of Venice Beach. The group survived on begging for scraps from catering trucks, women turning tricks, and donations, which I directly quoted that out of an article and I would like to go back and say... We don't say women turning tricks mm-hmm. on this podcast. We <laughs> say women doing sex work. right? Um, so I just wanted to go ahead and say that's a direct quote from this article, which will be cited in the show notes. Um, pretty soon, drug users started coming into these tender loving care meetings, but Diedrich said since there was already AA, he was going to kick out the drunks and keep what he called the dope fiends. So in early 1959, Tender Loving Care moved from their small storefront, officially became Synanon, and they moved into an abandoned armory on the beach. In the early 60s, Chuck began to mobilize the media and his Hollywood connections to promote the organization, and in 1967, Synanon purchased Club Casa del Mar, a large beachside hotel in Santa Monica. This hotel was used as the group's headquarters and as a dormitory for those undergoing addictions treatment. Synanon began as a two year long residential program, but soonly, soonly, Soonly (laughs) shortly and soon, Um, shortly after it kind of got its wheels off the ground, Diedrich concluded that members could never graduate because full recovery was never possible.
1: Which, okay, you got to be there for life.
0: Yeah. So since the program was based off of the testimony of these group members and their trials and tribulations and urges of relapse, thought that full recovery was never possible because you would always be faced with the urge of relapse, that is still an overwhelming feeling in AA. Like, that you will never be fully recovered. You always have to keep working on yourself. That's really what pushed me out of AA, was the idea that you could never be fully recovered and you could never realize what recovery was when I felt like I was a different person than I was when I went into the program. Yeah. So that's where I Not to say I that's the case split. for everybody, too, no, but that's you. Yeah. 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 I feel that. Synanon organization developed a business that sold promotional items around this time. It became a successful enterprise for the group, and it generated roughly $10 million a year. Wow. This is creating like t-shirts and pamphlets and pens and trinkets that advertise for Synanon. Mm-hmm. and selling them Further to spread the world. Yeah. Selling them to other organizations, to give to people to promote Synanon. Right. I read this guy's biography. We're going to see if this takes you back as much as it takes me back. Do you remember the band Airborne Toxic Event? No. Good, neither did I. But <laughs> this guy, Mike Jolette, is in this band called Airborne Toxic Event. Maybe you guys have heard of it. We haven't. Right. Definitely. I haven't. I have not. Okay, good. Because that would be really embarrassing if you did know who they were. Yeah. <laughs> So he wrote an autobiography of his. It's uh, called Hollywood Park, a memoir. Uh, it's about growing up in Synanon and defecting at the age of five. So his mother pulled him and his brother out of the place where the children in Sinanon were kept in the middle of the night and fled to their grandparents' house. They kind of became a haven for other people that were leaving the group as they were like a like uh contact on the outside for people yeah if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but the entire book is told from a five-year-old's perspective it's really weird and it's kind of hard to trudge through yeah (laughs) Um, i bet (laughs) it gave a really clear picture as to what it was like inside of synonym for a child though Mm -hmm. One interesting thing about Synanon is that, like a lot of other cults did, they separated children from their parents. And this was out of this idea that's really relevant in addictions therapy, that addiction is a family disease. Uh, in the memoir, Mike talks about his time on the compound where he stayed with the children as an answer to this idea that addiction was a family disease. Yeah. That if you no longer have to identify as part of a family, you no longer had to carry on the stigma of your parents' trauma. Like, you didn't have to carry on what made them an addict in your own life. Right. Because you weren't a part of a family.
1: You were a part of a bigger family called mm-hmm. Synanon. Synanon family. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a common theme in almost every cult. Church. Cult, yeah, cult classic story. Yeah, church, classic, classic stories. Church that the, story. Um, that the children are separated from the parents. Unfortunately, yeah.
0: But, even more unfortunately, is the fact that that's just not fucking true. That you can't Yes. change your DNA. Trauma affects your DNA. Trauma is genetically passed down to you from your parents. The same things that hurt them hurt you, too. Mm-hmm. Um you just can't separate yourself from that so no matter how badly you want to sparse yourself away from the idea that addiction can the cycle of addiction can be broken by disjoining yourself from your addictive family like everywhere That's you go there you it. are yeah <laughs> right so it's just crazy to me that this was the tenant on which he based taking children away from their parents so they were split, so none was split into the academy campus, which is where the seminars were held, where the group meetings were held, where the game was played, where the addicts lived, and the ranch where the children were kept. It became at this point a self-sustaining community. It had its own doctors, it had its own stores, it had its own food supply, and most importantly, it had its own radio station, which became known as The Wire, and broadcasted 24-7 Chuck speeches. Sometimes they would have a jazz band play of on people. 24-7. <laughs> yeah, the the wire was always on. Towards ah. the end, the wire was always on. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, the wire was just occasional,
1: but towards the end, the wire was always on. You said the end, but it's still an active thing, right? Is it? It disbanded in
0: 1991. There? There's still some offshoots of it that are uh-huh. active to this day. I'm not going to say it's an organized cult anymore um but as we'll see when i get to the end i talk a little bit about the legacy of synodon and it's Mm -hmm. this is not an anomaly like this kind of rehabilitation approach right i'm gonna go ahead and say in the beginning is still used to this day is used on people against their will to this day right so from the very beginning, Chuck started to record everything. Every single game he participated in, every single speech he made, every single radio broadcast that came across the wire, he recorded and kept on tape. Bad idea, Chuck. Bad idea. Number one, if you're going to start a cult, do not record everything you do.
1: That's a seems like a given. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Crime 101. <laughs> If you're going to hurt people, stop leaving a paper trail. Mm -hmm. So one day during a game, a woman kept interrupting Chuck's wife, Betty. Chuck proceeded to pour a can of root beer on her head, breaking the cardinal rule of the game. No violence. Right. He said it was to teach her a lesson. So this is kind of when the gate breaks open. And at this time, it's around the middle of the 70s. Senanon is beginning to move away from rehab work. Donations are beginning to dry up and members are starting to leave. So they start game clubs in bigger cities like Detroit and New York and, you know, other cities in California. I think there was one in Houston at one point. Spread like, out a little bit. Yeah. It's spread out. They attempted to spread it out recruitment tapped out pretty quickly because, obviously, it's not a great system. Like, hey, guys, you want to go down to a meeting and get yelled at for an hour? Mm-hmm. Like, nobody wants to do that. Yeah. And it's, like, the <laughs> opposite of what we've found successful recovery to be, which is an incredibly sympathetic, caring, loving Encouragement, thing. Right? Encouraging thing. So, not a lot of people are joining this group worldwide. So, we have to go back to... Synanon 2. So, Synanon 1 is TLC. Mm-hmm. Synanon 2 is where we're at right now. Things are starting to dry up, but we're still a functioning cult. They're making tons of money as a nonprofit at this time, but they don't want to pay any taxes on it, so they register to become a religion. This registration is shot down by the government, but Chuck proceeds to act like a prophet anyway. He would decree contradictory edicts and he became increasingly impulsive. One edict, this is a theme in this cult, is that he wants everyone to do exactly what he does. So one day he gets a Harley Davidson motorcycle and he says, You guys have to get Harleys too, because I have a Harley. So he made, he (laughs) bought all the higher ups in the group Harleys and then everyone else that was like on a lower level had to buy their own Harley.
1: They had to buy their own. Uh,
0: They had to have a motorcycle. That makes a lot of
1: sense, you know? (laughs) Obviously. He
0: made them ride these motorcycles despite not having any training. One of the members died in a crash, and a number of others lost their limbs. Around this time, vicious uh, games began breaking out. Members would be viciously gamed for breaking the rules of Synanon people were made to shave their heads and wears overalls, just like Chuck War, Styling. Styling. Yeah, it's a crazy sight. We'll post some pictures, but it's a crazy sight, these people with their heads shaved, wearing overalls, looking all the same. It's uh, weird. <laughs> in fact, and I was, like, gonna leave this out, but I think I'll put it in. For George Lucas's first movie, he needed a large group of people with shaved heads to make, like, to be extras in his movie THX 1138, I think, or uh, THX 138. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure. I've never seen the movie. He hired extras from Synanon to be these shaved head robed people in the background. When doctors told Chuck that he needed to exercise more, Chuck introduced a program to Synanon called the Fatathon, where members were made to spend a portion of the day jogging in place. <laughs> yes. Fatathon? The Fatathon. Jeez. One woman refused to participate in the Fatathon and was made to jog in front of everyone in the cafeteria as they all ate their lunch.
1: So it's like men and women, like everybody's heads shaved and they're all wearing overalls. Yes. Wow.
0: Everyone's head shaved, they're all wearing overalls. They're all, the all kids riding are Harleys. Rant, they're all riding Harleys. It's the weirdest gang you've ever seen. They're all sober. They're all sober, <laughs> yeah. Wow. They're all hyped up on coffee. Talking about how good they are. Riding their Harleys in their overalls with no hair. hmm So now we are approaching Synanon 3. and Synanon 3, Chuck tells members that he needs Synanon to become a vanguard for aggressive militant religions. Okay. So we've broken the seal on the violence thing when he pours the can of root beer on the woman's head. He now wants the group to have an intimidating reputation. So we're going from this kooky cult that's extras in George Lucas's movie to wanting to be a militant, organized religion. All right. This began with attacks on its own members. He created a group within Synanon called the Imperial Guard, which sounds something like something that George Lucas would come up with anyway, um, that was meant to be kind of like a militia inside of the group. (laughs) Around this time, California court system started sending juvenile delinquents to Synanon. Because everyone thinks they're just a rehab program at this point. Yeah. So the court literally was sending children to this cult.
1: When the guy came and did his speaking at the meeting, was he bald? Chuck? No, no. Where you were. Oh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He was bald. <laughs>
0: But I think it's just because he's old.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe so. (laughs) (laughs) There are different reasons to be bald. There are
0: different reasons, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you. That's crazy, but he was bald. Yeah, I can see it in my mind's eye right now.
1: No overalls, I'm I'm assuming,
0: though. Hold on, let me picture it. Overall, I don't think he was wearing any.
1: Yeah. I feel like you would have remembered that. I don't know, maybe there's... some. Did he get it? Styling overalls.
0: I said overall. Overall, he was oh, oh.
1: <laughs> it was lost. Overall, on you. not sure if he was wearing the overalls.
0: Overall, uh, uh, the kids that were brought in by the California Colts or <laughs> the California court system—not the California cult system—the California <laughs> court else. system were put into what was called by Chuck the Punk Squad, and they were made to do the dirtiest work. Beatings oh. of these kids became routine teens were being abused for posture and not making their beds the members children on the ranch were also beginning to be hit at this time so Sinanon three really went for their neighbors remember they're on this ranch in marin county so they're surrounded by farmers they're in like beautiful idyllic california like mm. ranch land they're surrounded by farmers. Uh, they started driving aggressively down the roads, and neighbors were not happy um, about the farmland that surrounded the campus, the way it was being treated. They opened up an illegal dump. They were creating illegal roads, like they were completely off the grid, like yeah, fucking some shit up. When two locals of Marin County's car broke down near the Cenonon campus, they were kidnapped by Cenonon members. And tied up in a warehouse and threatened to... This escalated so quickly. <laughs> like, yeah, beep, beep. Holy shit. It does. Sitting on three got super intense. I don't know what happened to Chuck, but someone hurt him. Mm-hmm. Chuck came and screamed in the men's faces that they should be fucked up and then called the cops on the two hostages. So he called the cops on the hostages, on the people that he had tied up okay, in the warehouse. Okay, yeah, there's something
1: deeply wrong with this dude. <laughs> yeah.
0: The cops came. They blamed Sinan and asked the DA to press kidnapping charges. Surprisingly, they blamed the guys who kidnapped the people. The DA proceeded to not press charges one of many times that the DA is going to decide not to make a case against this group when they really could have stopped a lot of pain and suffering. So they have this neighbor on the ranch named Alvin Gambonini. What a good Italian name. Mm-hmm. Alvin started having disagreements with Sinanon about a road that had an, an appeasement on it. Um, I don't know what an appeasement is. I did not look it up we're just going to say it's a part of a road. Yes. Alvin is having this disagreement with Sinanon and he learns that Sinanon bought $75,000 worth of guns. All right. <laughs> At this point, he becomes afraid to plow his fields. One day as he was driving down the road with his family, 20 members of Sinanon fell on him and attacked him. They jumped on his truck, they beat the teeth out of his head. And only one member out of the twenty was charged, and he got fifteen days. What? Yes. Alvin got the teeth beat out of his head, and this one non-member got fucking crazy. fifteen days for assault. The massive <laughs> gun purchase was picked up by the media, and Chuck said it was to protect the group. On February first, nineteen seventy-six, Chuck got on the wire and read a long speech entitled, entitled "Childbirth Unmasked," which I would really love to hear this man's take on childbirth. Yeah. I'll Anytime a man can chime in on childbirth, I get really excited. I have a
1: speech on it.
0: Yeah. So, if men, if you have anything to say about childbirth, send us an email to <laughs> bluntbroads at gmail.com. I send would love to hear your opinions. Okay. So, in this speech entitled Childbirth Unmasked, Chuck challenges the idea that babies have any value. He says. Do you really and truly think this natural process has any effect on the purpose of the person having it? Okay. Crickets?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I
0: think it does. I think having a child definitely changes your purpose. <laughs> but whatever, 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 whatever. He called Sinanon children a burden, saying that every child they indulged, a female Sinanon was taking up a bed somewhere.
1: Yeah, he got frustrated they had to take care of them. Yes. Yes, he exactly,
0: that's what he did. In 17 years, 150 children had been born into Sinanon. So he decided to control birth. Mm -hmm. Like the wealthy people in the world were doing, he says, he decrees an edict that the men must get vasectomies and all pregnant women must get abortions. So hundreds of members left. Chuck referred to this as the squeeze. He wanted only the most devoted synonyms left. Hundreds of men got vasectomies. Nine women had abortions. Hmm. One of the first operations, of vasectomy, got botched by the doctor. Oh, no. Yeah, hmm The guy's nuts swole up like big balloons. Shit! <laughs> so he says over the wire, um, having an abortion is like squeezing a boil, nothing more. <laughs> Yeah, that is, I have heard a lot of things that really, really, really offend me. I think this is one of the most offensive things I've ever heard before in my life. Having an abortion is like squeezing a boil.
1: Mm, oh, yeah. fuck you,
0: Chuck. So he told one couple that was pregnant that they could keep the child if they gave him $30,000. Okay. And he just left.
1: Yeah. Uh, they left, not fair.
0: Him. Obviously, Chuck sticks around. So, his wife, Betty, dies. He falls into a deep depression. He starts crying in front of non members, uh, which is unheard of for a cult leader to cry in front of his people. Like, that's nuts. So, he was sobbing in an extreme way, and he, in reaction to his wife passing away, doubles down on the squeeze. He sets up a labor count, or a labor camp in Badger, California, for what he calls deadbeats, who are old timers. Um, An old timer is a phrase in AA just for a person that's been in recovery for a long time. So they were for old timers that had no money left to pay him that he wanted to leave. He sent 20 old timers down to Badger County in California to a remote area to build 10 shacks in the hot sun and move boulders Okay. all day and all night. They had to live in tents. They were rescued by some rich lady that was a member of Synanon, just known as the heiress. I don't know very much more about that. Um, two months after grieving, Chuck announced that he was ready for a new wife. He started wearing bright red suspenders, and he called them his courting suspenders. Okay.
1: That worked.
0: <laughs> he used the wire to tell everyone about the kind of woman that he would like. And... I quote, if you're ready for the best Tinder profile of all time, <laughs> Chuck is looking for someone with the body of a 30 year old, the wisdom of an 80 year old, and the intelligence of a 45 year old woman, and a face that could get her a contract in Hollywood, but with enough experience to have her
1: face ruined totally. So he just broadcasts this to his members. Like, I'm yes. sure he's looking for somebody with on. Oh, yeah. So it's uh, he like was. literally a dating profile that's just. That's, that's, that's so guess weird. Guess who's
0: looking for an eligible bachelorette? Your loyal leader. Yeah. So a dozen women were into this.
1: Oh, wow, we got a whole, like, 12. Mm-hmm. He
0: got a whole 12 responses. This should have been,
1: like, a Bachelor-style dating show.
0: He essentially turned this into The Bachelor. Oh,
1: shit, yeah. He, start,
0: he was like, well, I guess I'll go on dates with all of them. You're right. The first woman he had a dinner date with, but wouldn't get in... She wouldn't get in the hot tub with Chuck after dinner, so she was obviously out. Yeah, booted. Booted. Out. Tooted and booted. Um, The second one didn't reject his advances. So a couple days later, they moved in together. (laughs) One day, during a game, his new wife called out his sexual performance. This game was being broadcast across the wire. So he screamed at her... Don't you ever do that in a game with me. And he just could not let this go. He would spend hours every day talking about his sexual prowess. And he started a campaign to make couples fuck better. Hmm. Men were encouraged to learn about tantric sex and try it. In 1977. At the same time, he doesn't
1: want any of them getting pregnant.
0: Yeah, you're allowed to fuck, but you're not allowed to right. have the No, natural... They've all had vasectomy, so... Yeah, they've all had vasectomy, so it doesn't matter, as long as you're fucking within the group, I guess. Just keep it within the family. hmm In 1977, Chuck declared all married couples had to separate and go through what he called emotional surgery, where they had to pick a new partner, or they had a partner assigned to them by Chuck. Even his children had to separate from their spouses his daughter took this okay and was like okay dad whatever i'll get divorced from my husband but (sighs) but his son did not he was really in love with his wife and he gamed his son so hard that he eventually left his wife right he just tore him apart so after this new edict is decreed that they have to undergo emotional surgery and divorce their partners. 300 members leave, but 200 stay. In fact, Chuck is so eager for the separation to happen that he performs a ceremony where he divorces his dead wife, Betty, with a Ouija board. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Betty, I'm letting you know it's over. I'm letting you know it's over.
0: We had a great 40 years, but it's over. So, members are now emotionally distraught, and couples are tearing each other apart in games. So, he decides to make members go on what he calls drills, where they have to go have sex on the spot. He'll just Mm. be like, okay, it's time to get drilled, and they'll have to go get drilled. (laughs) What a way
1: to say it.
0: They get to leave, but they have to have sex when and where he says they have to have sex. With less than a thousand members left, word of the child abuse and forced vasectomies gets to the media and the group falls under government scrutiny. So in response to this, Chuck holds a press conference. He is overly confident and combative in this press conference. He keeps inviting reporters to send it on, which is something that cult leaders, like, never learn. Like, stop inviting reporters over. Yeah.
1: the, The urge for new members just must be, like, so strong that they just don't think about anything.
0: Yeah. He interviewed with Time Magazine for two hours, thinking that they would, like, create a great promotional piece of work for them. Right. They proceeded to produce the headline, Life at Synanon is Swinging. And they refer to them as a kooky cult. He did not like that. I imagine. He did not like being referred to as a cult. He did not like being referred to as kooky. And he did not like being referred to as swinging. Mm -hmm. He declares a war against media, writing negative articles against them. So... After San Francisco's KGO ran a series of reports, Chuck sent a spokesman to New York to read a statement to ABC's shareholders saying, quote, There is great danger for you, your wives, and your families. I'm familiar with the element that stands at your doorstep. And Cinnanon filed the $76 million <laughs> a $76. <laughs> 76 lawsuit, <laughs> a $76 million lawsuit against time and one against ABC.
1: They won against ABC?
0: No, just one lawsuit Oh, oh, one lawsuit. Okay.
1: Mm I was like, oh, what?
0: (laughs) At this time, because of the press, Marin County was under pressure to conduct an investigation, and two investigations were brought against the group. One was a civil investigation into the reports of child abuse and violence. In 1978, Chuck handed over the director title to his 28-year-old daughter, Jade. He still kept all the money, He moved to D.C. to try to make more powerful contacts, but he couldn't because people saw right through him. He was harassed by the press, and he threatened a reporter with a cane one day. Like, an elderly reporter. He threatened him with a cane. No, he was elderly. Duh. He had a cane. And he threatened a reporter with his cane, and he fled to Europe with his lawyer and his wife, uh, landing in southern Italy he flew over a couple of his like inner circle people and what proceeded to happen was a giant drunken orgy. He would make people switch partners every day like switch spouses every day and they were all drunk.
1: They were all drunk. Oh so much for the sobriety. What? Yeah. Was, this is really like completely changed.
0: <laughs> yeah you thought we were gonna talk about like something cohesive here. You were a so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, word that he'd fallen off the wagon in Italy, got back to California, and when he came back to California a couple weeks later, he worked really, really hard to get back in the good graces of the people that were left in Sinanon. He apologized to them openly, and pretty soon, all was well. Hmm. So, oh, just this brings up a whole bucket of worms about relapse, and if relapse, you know, changes your validity as a person, which it doesn't, if you relapse, you are still just as important, and still just as good, and still just as much of a valid person as you were when you were sober. Like, the idea of relapse shouldn't have to change you. It shouldn't have to get you kicked out of your own cult, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> so, an excellent on named th- phil ritter fled in the night after the vasectomy rule was put into place leaving behind his daughter and his wife he divorced his wife and he won back custody of his daughter shortly after he won this custody of his daughter um she disappeared because these people have their ways so ritter took Sinanon to court to try to get his daughter back and two weeks before the so he hearing knew they took her oh yeah he got well they didn't like the kids Mm-hmm. He to got a lawyer. Us, fight somebody. Takes him to court. Two weeks before the hearing, two thugs with pantyhose pulled over their faces pull up to Phil in their driveway. Like, in his driveway, where he lives with his daughter. And actually, coincidentally, where he lived with his daughter and also the guy from Airborne Toxic Event, Mike Jollett, that wrote the autobiography. So oh, Mike, as a child, really saw this attack happen. Yeah. Um, they beat him to a pulp with pipes, um, they shattered his skull, it led to spinal meningitis, but
1: he survived,
0: and police did nothing.
1: Oh, my. They must have been paying the police off somehow. I mean... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely.
0: The same month, Synanon lost a court case against a woman who was admitted against her will into the group her husband t- hired attorney Paul Morantz who is such an important source for where I got this information paulmorantz.com tells this whole story by the way mm-hmm. this guy is a renegade for he essentially was the one who abolished this system not that the system's not still in place in rehabs but the the cult he was the attorney that got everything fresh and out there in the news. So when she came out of Synanon, this woman had a shaved head. And what had happened was she was having a pre-psychotic break. She'd had these in the past. Her husband took her to the clinic and was like, okay, I'm going to come back and pick you up after work and we're going to take you to the mental hospital. While he was at work during the day, the clinic shipped her off to Synanon. And they shaved her head they brainwashed her they tried to brainwash her mm-hmm. they essentially they kidnapped her yeah and so Morant brings charges of kidnapping and brainwashing against synanon and a doctor that he puts on the stand says that this woman has endured a rape of the mind which i think is a really eloquent way to put what cults do to you to the human eloquent. brain
1: right yeah, yeah. It's, it's a way to word it yeah
0: Marantz filed a lawsuit for brainwashing and kidnapping against Sinanon. A judge ordered the family some money. A okay. sum of money. A sum. A they ordered sum. a sum of money to the family for this woman's kidnapping and brainwashing. Shortly after the court case concluded, Sinanon members put a rattlesnake with its rattle cut off into the mailbox of Paul Morantz. All right. Who goes, unwittingly, to check his mail one day and gets bit by this rattlesnake. He survived, but he refers to this as the longest murder in history because he has an extremely rare blood disease from the snake bite. Hmm. So now the heat is on with Marin County to prosecute Synonym, because we have just had Jonestown happen. Okay. And if you're not familiar with the Jonestown Massacre, a cult in Jonestown had a tragedy. They all were mass murdered. Yes. And we'll My, cover that might later. Might talk about that <laughs> at some point. Right? <laughs> and that is me deliberately saying as little as I possibly can so that we can cover that in the future. Mm-hmm. The attack was heavily covered by the media because of this reaction to Jonestown, and two men called Imperial Marines, like we spoke about earlier, the militia force within Synanon, confessed to putting the snake in the mailbox. Finally, during this investigation, the compound in Badger Creek was searched, or in Badger, sorry, in Badger, California, was searched, and tapes were seized. And in these tapes, uh... Chuck is seen threatening lawyers and threatening media. Los Angeles Police Department uh, sees these tapes, and in them, there's just this quote that I would like to share where Diedrich is threatening these lawyers and these media people he says we're not going to mess with the old time turn the other cheek religious postures our religious posture is don't mess with us you can get killed dead literally dead these are real threats they are "'Draining life's blood from us and expecting us to play by their silly rules. "'We will make the rules. "'I see nothing frightening about it. "'I am quite willing to break some lawyer's legs "'and next break his wife's legs "'and threaten to cut their child's arm off. "'That is the end of that lawyer. "'That is very satisfactory, humane way of transmitting information. "'I really do want an ear and a glass of alcohol on my desk.'"
1: Okay. This all kind of sounds like the breakdown of him like relapsing and then like kind of l- absolutely losing it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so that's and in fact he recorded all of that. What?
0: So <laughs> after they found these tapes, they kind of considered this like a goldmine because they've got him absolutely. on tape <laughs> and yeah. admitting to everything yeah. that he's done. I would and- say that'll do it right there. Yeah, he is arrested in Arizona. When they find him in Arizona, he is so shit faced that he has to be moved with a stretcher, and he's charged with conspiracy to con- commit murder against Paul Morantz. Right. Facing million dollars worth, millions of dollars worth of lawsuits, and non fought back with a guess it, guess it, guess it, PR campaign. Uh huh. Chuck was given five years probation. For this attempted murder, this conspiracy to commit murder, uh-huh. he was granted five years probation because he was in declining health, but he was ordered to cut ties from Synanon. Synanon, as a result of these trials, was stripped of its tax exemption status, and nine higher-ups were jailed for helping with the snake fiasco. Situation. In 1991, Synanon sold off all of its properties.
1: They just got all their money taken from them. Do you know why his health was declining? To 1991. Um, Probably like
0: old as shit by that point. I don't know. Karma? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He died in 1997. Um... Yeah. So he acknowledged at one point that the system was brainwashing. Um. Like, his own system, the
1: Synanon, brainwashing? Yeah, he
0: admitted that the system was brainwashing and that control of members occurred through the game. The game was presented as a therapeutic tool and, like, into a form of group therapy, but it's been criticized as a form of social control in which members humiliating one another encourages um, the exposure of one another's innermost weaknesses. So, beginning in the mid-1970s, yeah, women and sin and non were required to shave their heads, and married couples were made to break up and take new partners. Men were given forced vasectomies, and a few pregnant women were forced to have abortions. This is just reinforcing what makes this a cult. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> the last closing note that I have is this guy, and I'm going to have to reference this on his page, but this guy Mel Wasserman... Was a former member of Synanon, left Synanon, and started something called Cdu, which is an acronym that stands for the Chuck E. Deidrick University.
1: Okay, <laughs> what is they going to be made learning? Up
0: of eight programs: the Cdu School in Running Springs, California; Rocky Mountain Academy; Hilltop for Young Adults; Cdu Middle School; Ascent Wilderness Program. Boulder Creek Academy, Northwest Academy, and Milestone Transitional Program. These are CDU schools, which are used and modeled after Synanon. They yeah. use the game.
1: Okay. For children, for middle schoolers. We'll have to talk about the breaking code silence um, issue at some point of, like, all of the problematic teen wilderness camps and i'm sure that that goes oh my god
0: absolutely i would love to talk about that (laughs) yeah i would absolutely love to talk about that so the CDU model was widely influential on the development of parent choice private pay residential programs which means that your parents decide to have you taken away
1: to this literally exactly what it's described in every story i've read about these code silence issues
0: yes Yes, I and bet a lot of them
1: coincide.
0: Another one called the Elon School up in Maine that's really disturbing. Wow. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's Synanon. Um and my really complicated muddled opinions on what it means to be in recovery and what it means to be a part of a group. Um, I think it's really, this is going to be my closing note, I think it's really dangerous for your identity to
1: become tied to a group definitely um you just gave like a really good synopsis and like good full story of synodon and what i'm going to be talking about here is just giving a couple of small bits about a church uh, not a cult but a, a church that is very active to this day and they have huge like Facilities, churches in major cities like Atlanta, Phoenix, everywhere, all over the place. So it's still very much a thing. And they really, you know, they deny a lot of these claims that I'm going to be just mentioning. that are mentioned in the internet. So all of this is alleged all You're going to hear stuff. the word alleged a lot in the next couple minutes. Yeah, well, I'm kind of prefacing it so I don't have to say it too many times, but I'm just giving you some info off the internet, and they specifically make claims on their website that hate stuff on the internet about us. Not true. So I'm just reading some stuff off the internet is what I'm doing, but there's been a lot this of... This is
0: gonna be really hard for me, Savannah.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna have to like sit on my tongue. Oh god, gross. I am talking about a little bit about Scientology and specifically its founder and his writings, L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, uh, so, L. Ron Hubbard.
0: Oh, wait, can I tell you something yes, first? Yes, tell me. Okay, so I went to Third Man Records mm-hmm. in Nashville in Tennessee, which is Jack White's record label, and he sells L. Ron Hubbard's tapes, like... Yes. Uh, he's a Scientologist, isn't he? He's probably is. Allegedly?
1: Alleg- he allegedly. He probably... I mean, it's a religion. Yeah. He he probably is is a member of the
0: church. So in case you
1: needed to lose a little bit of respect for Jack White. Well, I mean, not to say that it's not a respectable thing. If you're a Scientologist, fuck yeah. I want to know more about your life. Tell me. Write to us. Yeah. I'm really interested in the subject. I've watched, like, all of the documentaries you can about Scientology. And some of them are kind of clashing pieces of information. A lot of people leave the church and they leave in, like, an upset way. And, you know, who knows? But a lot of the stories do line up from former church members. I'm just going to point that out. They do. So I'm just kind of telling the stories that line up about that and the things that people say. Uh, So just to get started off, L. Ron Hubbard, he was considered a science fiction American author. He founded the Church of Scientology. He was born in 1911, passed away in 1986. However, Scientology is still very much a thing. It has changed uh, leaders Can't tell you the current guy's name. I didn't look into that. We're just talking about Hubbard right now. His book called Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health, led to him founding this church. Uh, Now, that book, I kind of want to actually find it and read it because it was the grounding thing that founded the church. Okay. Uh, But he's, uh, I'll get into kind of what Dianetics is, but that's, this concept is what Scientology is based on, essentially. Okay. So from there, he watched the church grow into a worldwide organization, which many of us know is still extremely active to this day. I read that he admitted he actually hated writing science fiction. He preferred Western stories about horses and boats, but science fiction is where he made his money. Dude, so I So he just, kept writing that.
0: I just did Nails on Some Woman the other day, and she was like, yeah, I started as... So she's a writer, uh-huh. and she was like, yeah, I started as writing like litfic, like literature mm-hmm. like fiction and <laughs> she goes and then that wasn't really working so <laughs> so i started writing children's books and then that wasn't really working so i decided to write romance novels and she goes so when people <laughs> ask what i do i just tell them i write smut and I love
1: it. <laughs> what an icon, like,
0: bitch! I love you. Yeah,
1: he I mean, writers gotta find their passion, and and this this was not his passion, but somehow a religion was formed around his um, I don't, you know, his writings. So it happens, <laughs> we'll keep, man. We'll think about going, the guy man. that
0: wrote the Bible. He's just sitting there, like, "Fuck, you guys took that seriously." Yeah, there's like, are, like Jesus. a few people that contributed to that
1: one, but. Oh, a couple of them. Mark,
0: Matthew, Luke, and John. Right. Yeah, a couple couple people. Okay, so Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John walk into a bar and they go, Have you heard the news about this guy? Jesus. We should all write a book together. We should all write a book together about this crazy motherfucker turning water into wine. Jesus Christ. Stories we can (laughs)
1: compile together? So some of you may heard of the documentary that was made about Scientology by it's a it was a series by Lisa Remini. She's a semi-well-known actress. I didn't know her name until Is she came out with all of this stuff. On
0: HBO or on Hulu?
1: Uh, I think it's on Hulu.
0: I think I watched that when I was sick.
1: Um Yeah, it's a several part documentary like TV show kind of deal. And she talks about uh, she's an ex-member of the church. She's a former member. So is she, she
0: pretty and blonde and her mother is uh, in the documentary I
1: too? I, from my recollection, I don't think she's blind. I couldn't tell you. What's it called again? It's, uh, if you just look up Lisa Remini Scientology, you'll find the name of it. I didn't include the name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah. Uh, her series, I honestly didn't find as interesting as some of the other documentaries I found. Uh, but I do think, you know, it's a good one to watch interesting stuff if you're interested in just former church members talking about their experience not saying that they're being factual about it at all they could be liars very much so she made this documentary series about her time in the church which they refused to comment on beyond saying that everything she says is false however it does i gotta say it does align with many former members accounts of their time there According to Remini, members are encouraged to buy all of the texts that L. Ron Hubbard ever wrote. Specifically, 12 of his books are considered the basic texts of Scientology. The package purchased through the church of these books allegedly cost $4,000. Oftentimes, a member would have to repurchase the books as they're often updated. I don't know by who, but, you know. What a skeez Oh, This is according to Remini. Well, he's dead. So whoever's yeah. in charge now I, I So yeah, I can know say now. whatever the fuck
0: I want to say about him because he's dead, right? Well, uh, he's still the
1: founder of the church, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, but we kinda tread me
0: He is I can talk about how ugly he is. He yeah. looks like a bloated freaking
1: Not a pretty man. <laughs> Gout riddled <laughs> pirate. Oh my <laughs> god. Right, so this gout-ridden pirate, you know.
0: (laughs) Uh, This gout-riddled sci-fi writer. Like, he looks like every... Oh my god. He looks like every bad writer in a critique workshop that's, like, looking at you like, I think this is historically inaccurate. (laughs) Like, I want to slap him in the face with a wet dead fish.
1: Yeah. Well, can't anymore, but... That's
0: that. Is reincarnation a tenet of Scientology? Do you get? I re- don't
1: know. I don't think so. Where I, do you go after you die in Scientology? I, that's a great question. <laughs> I not <didn't>, I, I, <laughs> I actually, I don't. I don't think you get to find that out until the upper tiers, probably. Which is what I'm going to be mentioning is what you find out when you get there. Uh, they also encourage members to buy multiple book packages so that they could donate them to local libraries, but they won't, you know, donate them themselves. The members have to buy them to donate them. This is all still according to Lisa Remini. And just a little extra tidbit until I dive into what some of these books talk about. There's a course called The Total Bridge of Freedom that members are required to attend to reach spiritual actualization. The Total Bridge of Freedom is a series of steps that every Scientologist must follow to attain this spiritual freedom and ultimate spiritual enlightenment. They get to this whole ceremony at the end where they are given this, quote-unquote, true knowledge. You know, they reach the end and they find, they get to, they get access to know the truth behind everything. Each required course is about $650 each, according to Romeni. It's like one-on-one therapy sometimes, so people really do usually feel like they're actually getting something out of it. In addition to the courses, Scientologists must attend auditing, which is like the church church's term for therapy. It costs $800 an hour. This is wow, kind of what Scientology's known for because it's a bit unusual and it's done with using what they call an e-meter. An e-meter measures the electric role, an e-meter measures the electrical activity on a human being's skin. And these audits can be administered to children as young as six years old. They use this device to help, quote, find and handle areas of distress. And I've seen a lot of the documentaries. I've seen a lot of, like, actual photos of these e-meters. And back in the day when this was kind of getting off starting, it was literally, like, empty tin cans that you would put your hands on. Now it's a more, like, futuristic-looking thing. And I don't know if it, you know... I personally don't know if it doesn't mean I'm not sure but then you have like an older member of the church that like kind of deciphers your e-meter levels and like finds your areas of distress and then they use it as kind of therapy and then they talk to you about what's going on in your life you know that kind of stuff do they use
0: it as therapy or do they use it against you
1: they they use it as therapy, which is a way of using it. I guess. You know, like
0: yeah, they
1: they kind of do help these people feel better. Because I think what about I've seen,
0: I think about Synanon, and it makes me think. You know, gut therapy or whatever they're doing with the game is meant to help you
1: in the long run, but it's meant to hurt you in the short term. This church, differing a lot of ways, and from Synanon, it's still being like enormous, an enormous thing. Uh. I th- they just take a, th- a very different approach and they, they like kind of give good to people. But their big thing is that it's expensive. So I read some varying things about the cost of these sessions. It seems kind of like maybe they base it off income. People like Lisa Remini and Tom Cruise are examples of celebrities that maybe had to pay more. But the lowest number I saw for the sessions with the e-meter, like auditing, was $100 an hour. And I only read that in one place. So this stuff's, pretty expensive to be a part of the church while you're working your way up to these different steps to be different levels. And your ultimate goal is to get to the end where you get this like truth, this knowledge. Um, So the the different levels of the church, basically, if you spend enough money and hella hella time on top of that, like you have to put a lot of time studying into this. They typically require like nine to 10 hours, sometimes a day studying. Uh, just so you can reach these top levels where you get to know the, the quote, real secrets. It's just what I'm going to call it right now. So now, I just snapped. We're going to start talking about Xenu. Xenu! <laughs>
0: I found out where you go when you die in Scientology, by the way. Where? Venus. Oh, word.
1: Planet of Love. You go
0: to a landing station
1: on Venus. Right. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. Who knows, like... No, this is from
0: Scientology's website. Oh,
1: it is. Okay. This is confirmed from the horse's mouth.
0: Um, When a Thetan abandons its physical body, they go to a landing station on planet Venus where the Thetan is re-implanted. Oh,
1: no, that's Thetans. Thetans are different. I'm about to tell you what a Thetan is. (sighs) (laughs)
0: I thought a Thetan was a Scientologist. Nope. nope. Was it a Uh, non-Scientologist?
1: Nope. Nope. Thetans are completely different. Oh, what the fuck? Okay, we're So we're talking about Xenu here. I'm going to preface it with saying that the Scientology FAQs part of their website strongly states that they have no belief that they are descended from aliens. They say that's ridiculous and not much more than that, but I want y'all to remember these exact words. They do not believe they are all caps descended from aliens. That's what it says on their website. So just keep that in mind as I talk about this, because it actually has like nothing to do with the wild stuff. That Yeah, anyway. So the story involving Xenu gets a little bit complicated. So hopefully I can spit this out correctly. In short, Xenu was a tyrannical dictator of the Galactic Confederation. From my understanding, he's a very large lizard man. Uh-huh. 75 million years ago, Zenu was faced with an overpopulation crisis and brought billions of people to Earth, which was then called Tagiak <laughs> back then. Ah. Where he threw all of these people into volcanoes, and on top of that, blew them up with atomic bombs inside of the volcanoes. Wow. So this left a bunch of spirits shit, called Phaetons to survive which are still present to this day cling, clinging to certain humans and they can only be removed through you guessed it auditing <laughs> this therapy that scientology oh provides
0: my god
1: yeah so it's all the stress all the trauma that you have it's just the thetans right but Active members of, so okay. I mean that's gonna, what
0: religion is. Religion just offers an answer. It provides an your, answer it, your for problems. your suffering. Right. And mm-hmm. that's why it was really important for me to learn in like tenth grade, like the basis of religion is that it offers explanation. Like, imagine you are at the dawn of humanity and you're in a cave and your friend over there doesn't wake up one day like what are you going to come up with in response to that as a visceral gut reaction to this person not waking up after a couple of days how are you going to explain it Mm -hmm. and if you consider that the basis of religion like to provide comfort and to provide solace from this ultimate question of death then it makes total fucking sense that you would read this shit by a science fiction author and be like Okay. Yeah, we're on to something here.
1: This is, like, more based on, like, the the pain during your life. During your actual life. Yeah. Like, you're only depressed because you got a Thetan on you, and, you know? Sounds like Catholicism But this isn't what they actively all believe. Like, I'll I'll explain that in a second. But, so this galactic confederacy that Xenon was ruling consisted of 26 stars and 76 planets which the planets had an average population of 178 billion. So he had a, just a real population issue here. And these civil, civilizations were similar to our current one, or I guess like the current one that he was writing the story during the time. They used cars, trains, and boats that looked like ones from circa 1950 and 60 on Earth. They also all wore clo- clothes like ours. Since he was about to be removed from power, he devised a plot to eliminate excess population with assistance from psychiatrists. I guess, you know, Xenu needed help to determine which, you know, pick out which ones had, like, issues or something going on already.
0: Okay, I gotta make sure I'm seeing this straight in my head. This is still the lizard so god. So there's a giant lizard god yeah. that's controlling a population much like ours.
1: Well, he's controlling a population of 178 billion per planet for 26 planets
0: okay so he's controlling several populations
1: of large quantity of large
0: quantity (laughs) of people that are just like they all are like it's like the
1: 50s they're all all of the civilizations are like the 50s
0: okay dope love it he's like we gotta figure out some way to make sure there aren't this many little ants crawling all Mm -hmm. over these little
1: planets yeah so he takes them to t t um sorry tigak Tigiak
0: Tigiak, which is earth which
1: is earth it's what it was used to be called, you know, and puts them in. Specifically, the volcanoes are actually named, like, which volcanoes he put them in. And they're, like, the actual volcanoes on Earth. And then he, it, then he hydrogen bobs them in the volcanoes. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> right. I gotta read these.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm reading their website right now, too. Like. So he gets this assistance from psychiatrists, like, pick them out. He gathers billions of people under the pretense of income tax inspection. You know, very realistic. You need your lizard to check your taxes. <laughs> yes. He paralyzed them and froze them in a mix of alcohol and glycol to capture their souls and brought them to key- Tigiak to and did his thing. These events and the immortal spirit thetans clinging to humans and causing their trauma, human trauma, is known within Scientology as the Incident Two. And the events that the Thetans inflict are R6 implants. So the story of Xenu is considered a sacred teaching and only, you know, this is all alleged, only revealed to members who have had a lengthy sequence of courses. Like, this is, like, top-tier information. This is not something, like, lower members of the church hear about at all. They'll, like, claim, no, that's, like, not a part of it because they haven't gotten to the they top They haven't yet. gotten to you the know, top! You know, if that's what's allegedly... At the top given out, but so this is like the several people have, um You don't get to find out
0: until you know the secret handshake. It's,
1: yes, kind of like that, yeah. And it's tons of, tons of money, like, and time, and I've got a good quote for that in a second. So the church avoids mentioning Xenu in any public statement at all and has gone to pretty extreme great lengths to main story- maintain the story's confidentiality. Uh, they really don't want people thinking this is, like, a very active part of what the religion is. Because it's really all about healing yourself and therapy and, you know, these things they kind of make money on. Um, the Most people go through the whole religion without ever hearing about Xenu and the church. It's supposedly and very much according to past members and the internet, which is mm-hmm. my sighting of all of this. And Scientology as a whole really denies everything the internet says. And I just want to acknowledge that a part of this enlightenment that is shared with them when they reach the top levels. So I found this particular answer on Quora to somebody that was allegedly part of the church and their answer, I feel like summarizes things that true or not from members perspectives that I've read quite a few of, like this really sums it up and I know I'm quoting Quora right now, but like, this, this, was, this was too good for me to not say this. The question was, uh, so do Scientologists really believe in Xenu? The answer is, this whole thing's a quote. Ugh, this again. I was in Scientology for 25 years. I spent hundreds of hours getting indoctrinated in the doctrine and practices of Scientology. I trained in New York and LA and at major Scientology organizations. I met hundreds of other people in Scientology. I never heard of Xenu. I only found out about Xenu after leaving Scientology and reading the documents regarding the upper levels, levels that are sworn to secrecy and that often take decades for people to see. Now, it might cost half a million dollars or more and 10 or more years in Scientology to get those, to to see those levels if you have everything go right for you. Break from me quoting this real quick. This person was in it for, they said... What? 25 years. 25 years. years? Yeah. But they're saying if you've got enough money, 10 years will get you there. But you got to have enough money and the 10 years. So, Shit. Yeah. Continuing the quote from this this person who answered, saying they were in the church for that long, I believe that 99% of the people who do something in Scientology never see the Z News story. It is just a rare person that gets that far in the secret indoctrination. The people I knew who did make it that far all had to read the Z News story. It exists and thousands of people have confirmed it out of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who came and went into Scientology over seventy years. They thought they often were aghast that this ridiculous thing was the big secret they waited a decade or more for and spent a quarter million dollars quarter million dollars for to see
0: <laughs> i would be so pissed off if i spent that much money yeah, and time that, and they were like okay there's but a lot of accounts the secret of people is... being like
1: what and then they're like it's got to be deeper i've got to not believe the story Oh it's my continuing god! continuing the quote some people leave when they see it and realize scientology is bullshit others think the story is fake and the reaction is a test Others realize that they will lose their jobs, homes, and families if they don't act like they believe the story and that it helped them tremendously. Oh my so they God. play act to keep their lives. Wow. Which, interrupting the quote again, that's a huge thing. Scientology, from things I have read on the internet and things I've seen online and actual videos of Scientologists going to people's homes, just go throw that out there. And Who knows if it's real, right? Um, <laughs> they supposedly, will, like, really entrap you once you're involved. And they're not going to leave you alone. They're going to ruin your life. They're going to make everybody you know separate from you.
0: That's the number one tenant, I think, um, is this... God, this is hard to talk about. I really have to not talk right now because I'm just going to screw myself over. Um, Okay. Do you want me
1: to continue? I'm just
0: going to say the sentence separating you from other things right like separating you from your identity and making you cling on to another identity is a very dangerous thing
1: I'd be inclined to agree with that
0: (laughs) there we go Yeah, I I said it before in this podcast in a different context and I'm going to say it in this context Mm -hmm. when anytime your identity is prescribed to a group it's a very
1: dangerous thing yes I agree (laughs) Um, To just finish off the quote Of this person on the internet Very very few actually Believe it once they're exposed To it but some do At this point the actual believers You're talking about less than one in a thousand People who do a service or buy a book But they have to pretend to believe The story if they make it And they have everything to keep on Pretending for the things that come after it Or risk losing everything so that's pretty much all I've got on this. Um, would love to know if anybody would like to hear more about the subject, because I, I really like talking about this particular subject. Oh, uh, the I do. C-Org, the Sea Org. Like, there is so much that goes into this that's really quite interesting that's off the internet and off of actual Scientology, you know, websites and their their statements. Uh, so y'all let us know in our email or just click send us a DM on Instagram if you want to hear more about Scientology. I'm, like, really excited to talk about it all the time. I yes, don't want to go cross any lines, message. but, yeah, I think <laughs> I'll tread lightly on it.
0: Where We're able to tread lightly on it on air. You guys are able to have free reign with it in the comments mm-hmm. and have free reign with it at your own risk in the DMs. Um, well, in the DMs at less risk than in the comments, but Talk to us about it. What do you think about it? Like, I yeah, know. On the same note, if you were ever involved, if your parents ever sent you to an alternative learning community because of disciplinary issues, I want to hear your story. I want to hear what you went through. I know um, a couple of you have just from knowing you personally. So I want to hear. What happens there? What's it like? My brother was in one. Like he's mm-hmm. not gonna be pissed at me sharing that, but he loves to talk about it. They ate hummus and pita all the time, and he has like a an aversion to it to this day. He was in Outward Bound, which I'm, is not a cult. Yeah, <laughs> it's not anything continuous with Sinanon. It's just a nature excursion that you go on. I don't know. Have you been in Outward Bound? What was it like for you? I would be happy to share your story. I would love Um, to hear all of that with the Breaking Code Silence movement. Breaking Code Silence. I need to look more into it. Savannah's gonna tell me about it later. Um, We're gonna go home and we're gonna pack up your Patreon packages. Mm -hmm. Because remember when you subscribe to be a Patreon, you get a little welcome package. I've got stickers that are going out and, um... I've also got, I've, this is probably the most insane thing about me, but I've collected over the years, I've just got boxes of, like, random stickers and, um, happies. I call them little happies. I'm gonna try to cop a
1: couple stickers off you. Yeah, no, I
0: call them little happies, um, and I send them out with everything, so I would be happy to deplete my package of little happies if you guys are to subscribe to the Patreon. Starts at $3 a month, which is
1: peanuts. Good discussion this week, and again, like, I would definitely talk about this again if anybody wants to hear more. And Synanon, wow, that's wild. I know she's got some really insane photos of it, so be checking out our Instagram for yeah. photos from this. I've got a really good photo of Xenu. Um, also, it's a, it's a drawing, but it looks pretty sick. A sick drawing of a yeah. sick
0: lizard god. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it's uh, been Hope great. everybody's doing well. Have a good week ahead of you. And Happy hope Friday. And enjoyed our stories of things that don't like to be talked about.
0: Yeah, groups yeah. that don't like to be talked groups about. Groups that don't like to be talked about. Happy Friday. Uh We love you much. Love you big. Goodbye. Bye much and big. Bye. <laughs>